Hey guys, Dylan Hartley here with another episode of the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. This week, I'm back in camp with the Red Roses, chatting to them straight off the back of their Six Nations win over Italy. It's a scrum half special today as I'm sitting down with Leanne Riley and Claudia McDonald. I think it's worth saying we're about two or three hours post-match. Congratulations, huge win today over Italy, 67-3. to What are your thoughts, Leanne? Yeah, I think the first half was tough. We knew Italy were going to come out firing. So um, I think we were a bit disappointed on how we handled certain situations in that first half. But we went in, we regrouped at half time, And I think our second half performance and the scoreline speaks for itself. Um, we came out, we did everything that we spoke about doing. Uh, we got on our front foot. We gave the forwards and the backs the platform to play off and we scored some amazing tries. So huge turnaround. Um, I think we would just look at how we started that game and how we can put more pressure onto the opposition rather than ourselves. Yeah, well, whilst you guys kind of stuttered in an attack, I think... Your D was rewarded with a couple of um, your breakaway tries that kind of gave that nice lead in the first 20, 30 minutes, which is quite nice. Claudia, what about you watching on from the bench? Are you a student of the game? Are you are you sitting there watching, thinking, when I get on, I will do this? Or Yeah, a little bit. You know, you're looking for opportunities, potentially what we're missing or or what the oppo- opposition are seeing in us and how what they're exploiting, I guess. I had a couple of... Funny moments, I guess, sat on the bench as the girls started to come on and the changes were made. They were all there, like, watching the game, then started to sort of pick up a bit of momentum. And they were like, oh, we we tied them down. That's why, like, <laughs> we've tied them down. They're now not playing as well. And that's why uh, England are playing better. Like, hundred <laughs> percent. always quite funny. <laughs> that, that person was me. I always got pulled off, like, 40 to 60 minutes, somewhere in between there. And then all of a sudden we score, like, two or three tries in the last 10 minutes. It's like... All that hard work, all that hard work. <laughs> um, I'm interested, half-time, what was mids like? Can, can you give us any insight into the change room, what was said? Do you want the media version or the real version? Oh, <laughs> I'm going to go to Claudia because I saw her drinking a Prosecco before, so she might give me the honest version. <laughs> I guess there's a little bit of frustration. That's pretty clear. Definitely, yeah. And then we seem to be sort of missing some pretty key opportunities, I think. But then I think we sort of collated together um, some sort of key points then going forward. And I think players and staff are all on the same page. We're all sort of feeding in the exact same messages, which is always quite, always a good sign, isn't it? That the players are sort of feeling and seeing the same things that the coaches are seeing. So, yeah, I think it, it kind of transitioned a little bit from, Ugh, this is annoying to, okay, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to do going forward. I was going to say, because there can be a million things not going quite right in that opening 40 minutes but you need to kind of put your your time and energy and, and voice and action into like one or two things. What were the kind of key things, second half, that you went out and focused on? Uh, in attack, it was definitely our breakdown, um, making sure that, you know, we're both nines on this call, so we love the ball to be available to us and be able to get that away. And I think we um, just missed a beat in that first half. So that was our main attacking focus was ball carrier doing their work and then blasting that inside threat to get that ball away quicker. And defence was just consistent line speed. Um, you know, like I say, we at times we got off the line and we made our shots, but at other times we just absorbed and absorbed. And I think we're a team that want to go out there and be brave. So um, they were the two key messages for us. Lovely. I was thinking... Um back to, to half times that I've been involved with. I can't think of any specific ones, but you know when a coach loses it, it doesn't actually do any good. You know, you see some players go within themselves and you don't actually get any clear direction. I was just wondering what sort of players you are. Would a rollicking at half time inspire, motivate, scare you into performing? Or do you need uh, clear, concise messages and solution-based kind of talks? I don't think uh, like a you know going out is is doesn't really bother me. I don't think I don't think it gets me either way. Um, I'm kind of a bit like okay, shush now. Like let me focus on what I need to do. <laughs> um, and then yeah, just having conversations amongst players I think is my key thing. Reconnecting and knowing that everybody's on the same page. That's kind of what I like. And then going out just really positive. Like okay, let's go. Lovely. You fly back tomorrow, seven a.m. flight, so not too many proseccos tonight. But you go into a bye week. What happens in, in in a week off for you guys now? It's not actually much of a a week off. <laughs> I think we've got we've got a couple of days. I think we've got a quarantine at home because of obviously being in Italy, um, and then we've got a Wales well a, a training day against Wales um, on Saturday. 
So yeah, a little, a little training game or, or session of some sort. And then we're back into camp again on the Monday. So I think, I think we get a couple of days off and then back in on Thursday and then we continue till the end, really. Hi, this is Mario Toje and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I was reading about you both uh, and your pathways to international rugby stood out. They're a little bit different. Determination, drive to succeed. Leanne, I understand that whilst at school, you wrote a 10-year plan. Can you tell me about that, please? Yeah, I did. Um, it was when I was 15 or 16. Like Exactly like you say, I was kind of going through the pathway. Um, and I can't remember what I was off the back of, but I just... I wanted to know where I needed to get to, to get to England. So I knew that, you know, 15, 16, I'm then going up an age group. I knew that there was an under 20s. Um, I, I knew little bits about it, but I didn't really know what adult rugby looks like at the time. Um, so I had to go away and do some research. It was probably on a school holiday where I was a little bit bored and wanted to do something, if I'm honest. Um, so I researched, obviously, it was pre-Premier uh, 15s, as it was called at the time. It was just the Women's Premiership and just had a look at what clubs were around. And as I'm turning 18, like what I need to do in order to get the senior cap and what that looked like. So, yeah, I had a I planned out a 10-year rugby plan and then, yeah, printed it out, put it on my wardrobe in my bedroom growing up. And then my sister came by a couple of days later and like read it and laughed at me and was like what have you done that for and like nearly like took it down I was like don't take it down like it took me ages to do that it didn't look nice it was just a word document of step one step two step three um yeah she laughed at me and I throw it back in her face now saying I'm nearly there not quite there but I'm nearly there well you got runners up middle do you know what? I think that's really inspirational not not many people break down their goals and set long-term goals and how to achieve them and for 15 16 year old to do that is really really mature like what what was the penny like what was the spark that that made you act on that you know what did you read what did you see how were you influenced to do to to make a program it was at the time where rugby started to take up more of my time so rather than it just be a Wednesday evening and a Sunday I was getting invited to these camps all across the country like amazing training camps but it just meant that I was leaving school on a Friday getting up first thing Saturday morning and I had no spare time so mum and dad sat me down and said you know like we're all supporting you all the way but I played all the sports in in school and they just said, you're not going to have enough time to continue all the sports. And that's when I had to choose rugby to go serious and go to all these amazing training camps and for mum and dad to put money towards it so that I'm able to go and do all of that. They just had a conversation with me and said, look, we're not going to be able to afford everything. You're not going to have the time alongside your schoolwork to do everything. So you've got to make a choice. You either do everything for a bit of fun or if you want to take rugby seriously, we'll, we'll back you. And that's when, you know, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to quit. I'll quit the netball, I'll quit the football, I'll quit the hockey. But then if I I didn't actually know what that looked like, what rugby taking rugby seriously looked like, and that's probably what spiralled me to be like, right, okay, if mum and dad are going to do this for me, I've at least got to know where I'm going to go or what stepping stones I've got to get to to make it. And that's kind of the age that I had to make those decisions. Unbelievable. It's a, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great little story for anyone listening. Um, Claudia, yours is slightly different. Uh, I read that you were at uni, you just walked down the training fields one night and you started playing and then two years later you're ringing the England coaches asking for a game. True or false? <laughs> um, not far from the truth. Like, <laughs> I was at uni. I'd been told sort of up to that point I should give rugby a go. I'd had quite a few sort of PE teachers and family members and everything being like, oh, you should give rugby a go, you really enjoy it. I did try it once. I went to one training session in Dubai um, and it was like out in the middle of the, the desert where the sevens ground is. Got home from it and was like, oh, that was, that was quite fun. And I think my mum at that point was like, right, if you want to do that, then you're going to have to make your own way there. And it was like an hour's drive or something <laughs> because I was already playing like every other sport that was going. And she was already there, like taking me to this and that and coming to this game and that game, you know, basketball or swimming or whatever. So I think at that point she was like, that's enough. <laughs> um, so left it at that point and wandered down to a session at Durham Uni on, I don't know, on a Monday night or something, went along to the uni session the next day and then kind of tumbled on from there a little bit. It Hang was on, pretty quick. You, say, you say tumbled on, you don't just tumble <laughs> on. Talk to me about talking to England coaches because you, you obviously didn't ring up and say, pick me. You obviously had conversations about what you need to do to be in in with a shot. Am I right? 
Yeah, so the England coaches, I think it was the beginning of my third year at uni, the England coaches were doing a kind of tour of the premiership clubs and I was playing with DMP Sharks at the time and I was getting a lift with somebody who was going for a chat with the England coaches. It was quite an open thing. It was like, if you know, if, you, if someday you want to play for England, go make yourself known, have a little chat, you know, find out, you know, what they're looking for, what you can do sort of thing. Um, and I wasn't planning on going at all, but I was getting a lift with somebody who was. And they were like, oh, go on, just go have a chat. So I went in, had a chat and they kind of knew who I was. They were like, oh, yeah, you play netball. And I've kind of been this like netball player ever since. But I mean, I didn't even play particularly high netball, just played for the uni. <laughs> but yeah, that kind of initiated conversations. Then Scott was kind of at our training sessions a little bit. And I just kept asking questions and it got to the autumns and obviously I wasn't selected but I think I was a little bit you know I I wasn't expecting to be selected but at the same time I was like oh you know maybe that would have been quite nice so I kind of wanted to know then what I needed to do so at that point I did ring I think I rung Scott up and was like right what do you want to see from me like what do you need to like what do you need to see and he was like right go away and score some tries so it went away scored some tries, came back to him like three games later, rung him up and was like, right, I'll score some tries. What more do you want? Like, what, what do you want to see now? Uh- <laughs> Can I just say, in terms of coaching feedback, that is outrageous from Scott. Go score some tries. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's not even technical. It's not even like we want to see your tackle height or your rucking efficiency a lot better or your ball carrying. We're going to get more leg drive out of you. It's go score tries. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was, do you think I was playing at the wing on time? Um, and it was like, yeah, just go score some tries. So I did that, went back to him, was like, right, done. And then I, done, I think we kind of went back backwards, you know, back and forth a couple of times. Um, and then he came to our match against Wasps, which is where I'm at now. But And I was playing against Abby Dow. So we were kind of like teed up against each other. I didn't know who she was at the time, but we had an absolute battle on the wings. And like, we laugh about it today because like, we'd be like smashing each other into touch and then she'd get the better of me around the outside. Then I get the better of her around the outside. I don't even remember what happened the rest of the game. I just remember like being like, oh, this wing is pretty good. I'm enjoying this. Like, <laughs> and Scott came up to me afterwards and was like, oh, can you pass that ball to me from the floor? And I was like, what? <laughs> I thought I was a winger. Um, and then from there, he kind of, yeah, it d- suggested that I try out scrum half. So I did. And then, yeah, well, I didn't try it until I came to Wasp. So I moved clubs to Wasp, moved to Scrum Half at the same time. I've got time. that in my notes. That I've got that coming up. Don't you worry about you not being able to pass the ball. Don't worry, Mike yeah, Brown. Can't pass. Still can't pass. That's why Mike Brown plays fullback. Because it's not because he can't pass the ball. It's just because he doesn't like to pass the ball. <laughs> um, both of you being quite forward thinking and, and confident, I suppose, in yourselves, making your plans, you know, chasing your own career, making it happen. Do you think that is why you've ended up in the position that you play now? Because I, I look at all nines, you are the heartbeat of a team. You are the forward thinkers. You control the, you're usually gobby as well. You guys aren't Maybe sure. that's why I got shunted there. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not short of um of, of, a, of a bit of chit chat, which is great for me. But do, do you think your sort of personality lends to where you play on the field, Leanne? Yeah, definitely. I think similar to Claude, I haven't always been a nine. I've been a nine for probably longer than what Claudia has been now. But I think I know everyone doesn't have an upsailing journey and, you know, getting to the top isn't always easy, but everyone goes through their own journey. And I've definitely had some real low points. And I think that's when your character comes out of how determined are you to to make it? And there's definitely times where I've thought to myself, why do I do this? Like, does it make me happy? Is it something that I want to do? But it's the team around you that then pick you up at those low points. And then actually, you know, when someone picks you up, you kind of, you stand up and you take a breath you're like actually no I can do this and it's just having those people around you to to create or like nurture your character to then make sure like as a nine don't get me wrong like Claude please correct me if I am wrong if you're you'll play your best rugby when you're, you're the most confident and I think that's something that I've learned over the years is if I'm out there and I'm confident and I've got a smile on my face and I've got the girl left and right of me then that's when I'm playing my best rugby and that's where I discovered myself more away from the England um, side when it was at Quinn's England wasn't going right for me so I went to Quinn's and thought, you know what, there's no pressure on me to perform. England have said that, you know, I was third choice nine at the time. So there was no pressure on me. And I just went there, played with my friends. And that's when I really started to come out my shell and um, show what I can do on the pitch. And that's when things went uphill in an England perspective for me. Is that confidence something that kind of comes off the pitch as well? Is that in your, both of you, is that in your personalities off the field? Because I've played with people that are larger than life on the field, and then you can't find them off the field. 
you literally can't find them that they speak so softly but on the field that just like this larger than life character tell me about you guys is it um what we see in the field is that what we get off it how, how about Claudia? You tell me what you see with Leanne and then Leanne, you tell me what you see in Claudia. Yeah, Leanne's pretty confident off the pitch as well. I'd say she's definitely louder on the pitch than she is off the pitch. But I'd say it would be more challenging to be louder off the pitch than she was on. Like, <laughs> fair, fair comment. <laughs> like quite often you're watching a game and the only voice you can hear is Leanne's, like, especially when there's like a driving mall or something. Like <laughs> that is your job. Yeah. I actually like no. coming off coming off the back of those games like my family turn the volume down when they watch England play because they can always hear me and I'm like right I'm, I'm not going to shout as loud this game so I know that that's what everyone does and then I just, the minute I'm on the pitch I just forget so yeah that's fair comment I think it's brilliant a, a nine that's barking all game is exactly what you want uh, Leanne tell me Claudia confident on the pitch off it what do you see yeah, I definitely think she's confident. Like, you can hear her laugh a mile off. Like, I can be around the corner or in a different hotel room. And I'm like, right, Claudia's next to me. Like, I can hear her laughing or whatever. And I think um, you create these nice groups of people, don't you, that you just go along and you chill with. And um, that's where, like, the waspies, we see the waspies around quite a lot together. And that's where Claudia's being, because I've heard her over there <laughs> laughing away, giggling away, giving it all that. So, yeah, she's definitely confident off the pitch. And that translates into her game. Um, has there ever been a time where confidence or determination has been shaken, you know, for, for you, Leanne? Has, has there been anything that's happened that's made you, I don't know, resilience, a little bit of a setback? And how did you deal with it? Uh, yeah, there's been a couple. Probably the biggest one for me was losing my sevens contract, kind of how that came about and the timing of everything with that. So we went on there was a couple of us that actually went on a 15 summer tour, um, even though we were contracted with sevens and we knew that our contracts were up. But one week, obviously, we knew when we were going to find out and my contract was taken away. And I, as much as like I was in the moment with that, you know, I hadn't even thought about a job back home or, you know, what that looked like. And we were in Canada at the time. So I was, you know, the other side of the world, um, technically just lost my job had to also go out and put a couple of performances in for England at the same time. So juggling that whilst being on a summer tour was really tough. Um, you know, off the training field, I didn't even take a laptop with me. I had to use our team manager's laptop to start rewriting CVs. And I had to think about what I wanted to do um, because, you know, I was coming home. And as much as we'd had some time at home, you know, to regroup with that, again, probably forward thinking, I was like, well, I may as well start it now. Like we've got downtime. I'm not doing anything. Um, I may as well start getting on with stuff then. So that was definitely a tour for me where I walked into breakfast the next morning and I just felt everyone staring at me and everyone knew what had happened the night before. My eyes were probably pin sized because, you know, I didn't get any sleep or whatever. I'm sure that wasn't the case, but you know, when you've gone through that and you just think everyone knows and everyone's staring at me. Um, So yeah, I think picking myself up trying to enjoy the rest of that tour as much as I could but also then trying to sort my life out when I got home was tough but you know again it's not always been easy for any of us and I think they're the moments that your character comes out your resilience comes out and you come like you know I look back at that now and laugh um, but obviously it wasn't a laughing matter at the time. Hi I'm Courtney England Lock here to remind you to leave us a rating and a review at the end of the podcast cheers you both learn to play scrum half obviously you've got to learn at some point but later in life later in your careers you learn to play how did the switch come for you claudia because you couldn't pass the ball right or you didn't want to pass the ball you just wanted to score tries yeah, had no interest in passing. And then all of a sudden it was the only thing that I was doing, which is why I love like a little bit of counterattack or when like the nine gets to sit in the backfield or <laughs> something like that. I love those bits. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was challenging, I think, because I kind of learned how to play scrum half on an international platform. Like I played, I came into England camp having played two games at scrum half in my life before. And that was like really challenging because one, I, I didn't really know the girls at that point. Um, so you're trying to sort of like show why you're there, you know, you, you've earned it, blah, blah. But at the same time, I was like, I don't think I have necessarily earned this. Like maybe as a winger, you know, which is what they'd kind of seen me playing for last year. But then all of a sudden I was in this scrum half shirt and I was in England camp playing as a scrum half with all these players that had, you know, expectations up here. And I was kind of like 
failing somewhere down here like <laughs> like you know giving it all the intent loads of energy looking for little snipes and little runarounds but actual game management was just you know minimal in terms of like my understanding of how to play as a scrum half and you know there's a few instances of being shouted at like what are you doing and I was like I don't know like <laughs> stop shouting at me I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) um so yeah it was it was definitely challenging at times I think I came out of my first autumn international think so we got to the Novembers and you know I played a couple games by that point in the Premier 15s and then had a few sort of shots you know relatively short at the end of games but playing playing for England and I kind of think I came off the back of that a little bit broken and it took <laughs> it took probably until January like after the Christmas break to be back playing at like a level that I was happy with because you kind of go into like a bit of a hole of like I have no idea what I'm doing as the position like you are the heartbeat you are the flow you are the tempo of the team and it's almost like a really selfless position isn't it like you guys just run a lot and you pass a lot like if you don't pass the ball like we don't see any attacking rugby and if anything you might get a couple of opportunities like you did today to snipe and have a little run quick tap every now and then but it's a really selfless position I wouldn't want to play it um <laughs> Leanne how, how did you find your way there It was off the back of the seven stuff. So coming back into 15s full time, I didn't really have a position and I played scrum half in sevens, um, which I appreciate that you don't always go at the rucks in sevens. But um, yeah, I had a bit of experience there. You know, I I was out when I was 18, 19, I was out on the wing. I got told I wasn't big enough for 13. I played my under 20s career, played at 12 and 13. um, And there just wasn't really anything for me. I I was the classic number 23 for years for England as, okay, like she's covering back three, but you also might cover 12, but you also might cover this position. And it was just mayhem. So it was after that time that um, I was at Saracens at the time. That's where I lived. Um, So yeah, went back there and just really tried to stick down, you know, my hand at nine um did a lot of like you say endless sessions of pass 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 and then once you'd nailed that like Claudia said it was like oh god now I've got to manage a game like I've never had to do this before like what does game management even look like but I guess I was more luckier than Claude that I had a couple of years in the premiership to try and learn from certain experiences and make those mistakes in a club shirt. Um, And then, you know, I had good people around me that can then help me and teach me the game almost. Um, And then, yeah, coming into the England setup uh, against Latoya Mason and Natasha Hunt, who were amazing players and got to learn off them for a couple of years um, and then kind of embedded the way I wanted to play and get all that game management nailed down and what does good look like? What does bad look like? Where are the risks that you're taking? Probably had an easier ride than what Claude has said. You've got to practice closed skills, passing, box kicking, feeding in at the scrum, passing from the base, you know, dive pass, all these different things. What was the hardest kind of closed skill to master? Because game management, you can't effectively practice it. You, it's almost sort of thing you learn over time, no doubt. And you've probably got to go through some rough patches to, to come out better. You're, you're 27, Claudia, you're 25. But in terms of close skills, you know, going from being a back three player, converting to passing from the deck, box kicking, what was the hardest kind of close skill for you to master? Or what are you still trying to master? All of it. <laughs> all of it, yeah. So I trying mean, to master all of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess the passing was like a complete, I guess passing and box kicking were like the new skills to me. So passing was one you kind of, you practice, you think you've got it. And then all of a sudden you throw it into a game. And there's loads of pressure coming at you from a ruck and you're like, ah, I've forgotten how to pass. <laughs> um, so that's still, you know, each game hopefully is going to be better than the last one. And the same, I guess, in my box kick, I remember having a conversation with Giselle, who's the director of rugby at, at Wasps. And she was building this whole game plan around this box kick that was going to be beautiful and was going to land on the five meter and it was going to go this many meters. And I was like, Right, Giselle, you know that that's me that's got to kick that ball. And I was like, and I can't do it. And she was like, well, we've built a game plan around it, so you're going to have to learn. Like, And that was it. And it was kind of like, all right, fine. So I keep, I keep at it, keep going. Um, and I won't lie, they weren't, they weren't brilliant to start with, um, but they're definitely getting there. So, yeah, I'd say, I'd say they're all individually quite difficult, but you can kind of work on them. You can work on them quite easily and quite a lot of it. So, it's all right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one of those people that does work, or I did work on my closed kicking game uh, at training, you know, warm-ups after training, <laughs> I'd always do it. And I remember playing Gloucester one year and our scrum half was tied up in the, in the bottom of a ruck and I was like, 
calm down, everybody. Calm down. I've got this. Blockers in place. Get the ball back when you could do like the human centipede thing. I did this box kick. Perfect box kick. We're in the tram line, so we're five metres in. It goes up and it's headed down the shed side of, of Gloucester's ground at King's Home. And it goes from five metres. It drifted. The wind caught it and pulled it in like a good 20, 30 metres. I basically <laughs> box kicked it to the centre of halfway. Leslie Von Ocola caught it on the full, ran through our back three and scored under the sticks. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never kicking the ball in a game ever again. Um, that's my story about box kicking. Uh, Leanne, what about you? Close skills? Um, what, what was hardest for you to master? What was hardest? I guess it's probably easy, but I would say passing because I think once you think you've got it, it's then like, right, okay, you can do X amount of distance. Okay, you can pass it 10 metres now. Now I want you to get it there quicker and I want you to get it there faster and I want you to put more power into it and then I want it to change to 12 metres and 15 metres and I, I don't want you to pick it and lift your arm up. At, like I want you to scoot off the floor. So it was like, it was a never-ending game. It was like, right, I want you to do this. Okay, got it. Now you've got to do it quicker or now you've got to do it better. Um, and it was just like, have, am I ever going to get it? Like, OK, what's the next thing that I've got to do? So I think definitely passing was the hardest. I'll put my hands up. I'm still learning how to kick now. Um, I, I will kick, but it's not it's not my strength in my game. Um, I'd probably say my, my passing and my sweet pass is, is my strength of my game now. And it's probably down to all the work that I've done. So, yeah, there's definitely skills that I'm still learning to master. That is for sure. So for me, when I look around world rugby uh, as a whole, nines are some of the most exciting players. Do you guys look for inspiration? Is there anyone that you really admire? Like for me, I look at like Danny Kerr. He's got to be one of the... He looks fun. Every time he does something like his attacking kicks, his pass, his quick taps. Is there anyone that you guys look to for inspiration or that you, you typically admire? I, look, I like TJ Perinara. Yeah, he's, he's like one of my favourites. I know Aaron Smith is like brilliant and he's got the kind of zip pass, but yeah, there's just like a little bit of excitement and you're not really sure what TJ is going to do on the pitch, which I really like. He's always like smiling, right? He looks like the yeah. ultimate competitor. He's just... <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, that's a good one. What about you, Leanne? Anyone ticks your box? They've both been said. So, like, in terms of passing, like, speed and accuracy, like, Aaron Smith, I think, is, like, top of the world. But, like you say, Danny Kerr, whenever he's got the ball, you just don't know what he's going to do. Like, I'd love to be able to learn from him around like the way he runs or whatever because literally he gets the ball and, like you say, he could pass it, he could kick it, like, no one knows. And I think the way that people play off him as well is so good. Like you've got Joe Marchant, you've got the wingers, they know exactly what he's going to do. And I'm like, how do you know that? Cause you're already running onto that like kick before he's even kicked it. So I just think, yeah, just his variety of game. Um, I think it is classed at the moment. Do you ever just have a chat to him at training? I mean, this year has obviously been a bit difficult, but do you, do you not do some kicking with him and, and whatnot? I haven't necessarily trained with him, but yeah, we have had some conversations pre-COVID um, just around our game and stuff like that. Stop, um, stop right there. I don't want to hear conversations. I want to hear about the next 10-year plan of you. <laughs> if you don't do it, Claudia's going to be doing it. And this leads me on to my next question. Competition for places. You both play the same position. Do you guys train together? Do you, do you push each other? Do you, um, every nine that I've played, well, all nines in every team, they all hang out together in your little passing groups and your kicking groups and or we're over mauling, standing on each other's toes and doing God knows what. You guys are having a great time. But um, what's it like between you two? Yeah, fine. I think, like, I was speaking about it before in terms of you're kind of on the same path anyway. You know, you, you we both want England to be the best team in the world, inevitably. You need more than one scrum half to get there. I think it was something that Mo said to me as well when I first came in. She was like, she was like, you never know, you know, what's going to happen to you, for example. And you want to make sure that, if say, let's say I was a starting nine, for example, in a final, but I get injured and then Leanne's playing or whoever, Flo Robinson's been around camp, like Flo's then playing, you want them to be in the best position possible because you still want to win that game. It doesn't really matter who's on the pitch. I think like, yeah, there's always going to be competition and Leanne might sit there and be like, no, we're really competitive. Like, <laughs> Claudia is so competitive. Claudia is so competitive. I am. I'm actually probably more competitive with myself than I am with anyone else. Like, I always want to be better than me. Um, Whatever I've done is never quite good enough. It doesn't quite ever live up to my own expectations of myself. So I think that I've already got enough competition with with myself. I don't need to then compete with anyone else as well. (laughs) Leanne, is this a, maybe you could give away some trade secrets, but 
do you do things in your downtime? Do you think about what Claudia and Flo might be up to? Does that push you to do extra, to do more? Because, you know, like, I understand competition. I've, I've competed with every hooker under the sun because there's someone always alternative to you, you know, um, whether that be on the bench or in the wings waiting to take the shirt and play. But you don't survive in a team environment unless you're a team player. It is the team first. And obviously making yourself better and pushing the person perceived in front or behind you you know, pushing them to be better, you know, makes yourself better and the team better. But do you do anything in your downtime that uh, you might not want to tell me because Claudia is on the call? But are you are you conscious of of your competition? It, it made me stop eating pudding at times. You know, <laughs> I definitely don't turn down the pudding. I will happily have the pudding. <laughs> I need the calories after games. What I tell myself. Exactly. Um, yeah, definitely. I think not necessarily in downtime, but maybe around like our club games or if we have that PPP session, always looking at, you know, what Claudia's done over me or, you know, what what stood me out over Claudia, whatever. You're always looking at that game. The other day, um, I think it was after team run, Claudia was like, I was doing some kicks to Jess and Claudia was like, oh, can I come do some boxing? Yeah, no worries. And then her kicks were going a bit better than mine. So I was like, uh, Jess, can we just go over here a second? <laughs> just because I think... When I, like with kicking, like it is such a developing part of my game that if I get thrown off by anyone, because I think there's hookers throwing over here, then there was someone here. And I felt like I was really crowded and I then just couldn't focus on me. So yeah, that's definitely a competitive part in our game. And I think what we had a couple of years ago was, um, do you remember Claudia used to have like forward and back of the week with England? Oh yeah, yeah. she remembers. So within our like Premier 15s clubs, we'd like obviously the coaches would watch our games and we'd have a forward and a back of the week, which Mids would choose. Mo at one point had got like two weeks back to back. And I was like, what is she doing to get these back to back weeks of like player of the week? And I like I had to go and look. And normally, again, I'm probably more about my own game and just trying to focus on you know why I stand out but those couple of times I was like what is she doing I need to go and watch these games um so I definitely think like all three of us were so competitive but as Claude says like it just pushes each of us on that little bit further and like you say you never know what can happen pre-game post-game like training um you don't know who around you and what's going to happen there and I think if we can all put ourselves ourselves the best foot forward but also make sure that the other one's ready as well I think we've got that pretty nailed down in terms of the team first stuff brilliant in, in terms of me whenever I was in camp every night I'd send sticky toffee pudding to Jamie George's room just to make sure <laughs> skin folds I was always uh, ahead of them and, and you can imagine after three months at Penny Hill the kg slowly slipped up um, oh hold on I've just got a knock at my door one sec he's genuine <laughs> Me sending over the sticky toffee. <laughs> Come on, Dylan. Well, he was he was so confused. He was like, oh, okay. I was I very confused because that. your screen's been all over the show. Your your Wi-Fi is terrible. You haven't set your room up symmetrically like Claudia. I don't know if someone was at your door, you know. I'm confused. What Wi-Fi you cannot blame me for. That is right. the hotel. We can blame Italy for lots of things. Right, <laughs> let's move away from rugby. Um, you're very active in your downtime, both of you. I've been on your Instagrams, had a look. Dylan, have you just been on or have you followed us? Uh, I don't follow many people. I don't. Come on. Nah, because, do you know what? I'm not not about that social media life because it just (laughs) consumes you and it doesn't drive happiness, you know? I'll I'll just do my research. I'll have a look at you guys. But yeah, Leanne, you're PT or something? Because I had Fleeto on last week and um, she's obviously running a bit of a business side hustle. Uh, Have you two thought about hooking up? Uh, we've definitely had conversations in the past about some of the stuff that we're doing. We have done some stuff um, in London together. We were supposed to do some nutritional things together as well, but I think that was pre-COVID as that was all coming out. So that didn't actually come to anything. But Fleeto is a complete machine, to be honest. So I think I'd be a bit out of my depth there against her, to be fair. Nah, you, you'd be fine. I mean, I've seen your Instagram. Guns look good, mate. <laughs> and that's all you need. If you want to be a PT, you just need good guns and a tan. You'll be you'll be fine. Get some of Fleeto's. Yeah, please um, need to tell you how to get a tan. <laughs> Claudia, what about you? What are you doing in your downtime? Any any talents? Any hobbies, interests? And nothing. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have a little blog that I do, although it's been a bit, little bit quiet recently because I got injured and then was trying to get back into rugby. So I kind of did the same thing. I've sort of, like, I carried on. It's, it's about sustainability. It's, it's called Let's Talk 1%. Um, and it's just about like little small changes that people can make. And it just follows Right, my... can you tell me, what is your blog? It's a blog called Let's Talk 1%. Yep. Where can we find it? 
You can find a link to it on my Instagram. Which is? Which is Claude underscore MacDonald. See, I'm giving you both a marketing There you go. Set me Um, right up there. (laughs) So it's about sustainability, which I love. So tell me about some one percenters. What can our listeners do to make a change? Some easy, some nice, quick fire, easy one percenter changes, help the environment. Tell us what it does. All right, should we go really simple? So really simple stuff, like always have a water bottle and a reusable coffee cup if you like coffee on you. Really simple ones to get right. The other is about just like having a conscious think about changes that you can make. So like one of my months was about I used, I basically cycled lots more than I would. And I realized that actually it takes me less time to cycle to my club than it does to drive. But because it was just such an ingrained habit that I get in the car, put my boots in the car, and I kind of justified it in my head too. I was like, well, I've got to bring all my kit with me. I've got to bring, you know, all my food for later. Therefore, I've got to drive. But actually, it, it was so much easier when I started cycling. And then not getting scared by, you know, the idea that you have to flip your lifestyle completely, recognizing that any small change that you do make is still really important. I love when someone says, like, I'm, so I'm not vegetarian, but like when someone goes, oh, I can never be a vegetarian because I can never give up bacon sandwiches. Okay, well, well, don't give up bacon sandwiches. Just like cut out the rest of the meat. Like, <laughs> do you know, or it's like two meals a week that aren't, that are vegetarian or have a little think about alternatives instead of having meat like three times a day or something. Do you know what? You might have just got yourself a follow. Jeez. <laughs> I was going to say, my say, Matt, is all over that in terms of meat. Like, he loves that. I'm totally on board with you, though. Like the, the small changes. Like, if you go and cold turkey and say, stop doing this, do this, do this, do this, it's hard. I suppose it's like when you're trying to clean up your diet, so to speak. If you go and cold turkey with a lot of things and you've got to then train and you're eating so many calories a day, it's really hard. But if you just make incremental changes, all of a sudden... Yeah, you, you've made big change. It's like, yeah, it's like I, your 10-year plan, Leanne. You know, you just got to make plans. And, and just a little stepping stone. The- yeah, small little steps, and then you look at where you end up. You're like, oh, my God, I don't Brilliant. have a car. I don't eat meat. So I-, <laughs> I, I, um, I went through a stage of I lived in Northampton Town Centre when I, when I played at Northampton, and the same thing. I was driving to training. It was actually quicker for me to walk, catch the bus, get to the ground. But then, you know, I didn't quite like catching the bus. So I started biking and it was good. I could get there way quicker, save fuel, didn't have to pay for parking, all that sort of stuff when I got home. Until like you're playing like Newcastle or Exeter away and you'd get back on the bus at like two in the morning and you'd be sore and it'd be raining and I'd have to bike home. It was only like five, <laughs> ten minutes, but it was miserable. Yeah. Bend off. Yeah, got put got put back in the front room after that. Um, yeah, but that's also okay. That's kind of the whole point of the vlog, you know. Like if you do it a hundred times over the whole year, then fabulous. You don't have to do it every single day. Hi, I'm Hannah Bottomer, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Claudia, your your partner plays uh, for the Irish women's team, right? Yeah, she does. How relieved or disappointed were you when you realised you weren't drawn against her? this tournament <laughs> um i think dis- not maybe disappointed i'm still waiting for the day that i get to play against her i'm actually looking forward to it <laughs> but, t- <laughs> tell me why because we always train against each other so I'm, she'll hate me for saying this right but in training i always a stepper on her inside and i don't know why but i've just always got into the path of doing it and be like ah like, got you again <laughs> and like especially over lockdown she's obviously she's a hooker she, I mean, she's quick and she's like agile but not quite as quick um and we were doing a lot of like one-on-ones and we sort of changed the distance and the wider it got it just got easier but she's actually can kick as well she comes from gaelic football so she just kept chipping the ball over my over the top of me and I was like this isn't right like you shouldn't be able to do this <laughs> but yeah looking forward to playing her one day I was gonna say I, I can imagine there'd be full like bragging rights like tea making duties and all sorts for, <laughs> for a long well until the next game effectively but it, it's Cleona isn't it yeah cleaner cleaner oh my gosh cleaner <laughs> I'm looking at the spelling that is really confusing um, <laughs> yeah Good effort. Yeah, good effort. She's had all sorts. Clea Donna was one of my favourites. Like Clea Donna, that's not so bad. But in terms of cleaner, in, ter- in terms it. of cleaner, watching you be a full time professional and she's juggling and playing, do you see her and respect what she's doing? Is is it hard for her to see you doing what you do? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's um, it can be hugely frustrating because 
she's got a really good employer so she kind of gets she gets to work from home and they're quite flexible on her hours she means she can train in the afternoons and everything but um yeah, it is really really tough because it's not it's not dictated by ability or work ethic or the amount of the amount of everything you're putting in it's just that they aren't professional they don't have that in their system yet and yeah she's a fantastic player as well so it's not like I can sit there and be like oh yeah well I'm a better player that's why I'm professional like it's just that she happened to be born in Ireland and I happened to be born in England and as a result you know that's just not an opportunity that she has access to at the moment whereas I do so I think it's tough and there's, there's certainly a huge amount of respect there I've done it you know I did it for a few months not particularly long but I did it for a few months of getting up really early going to work um coming back from work training and you just get exhausted you kind of end up in this sort of like never-ending sort of story I guess um where you never really seem to get any any downtime any rest and I guess you kind of you can see players going through that so yeah in an ideal world everyone would be professional so I guess that's what we're we're looking forward to well, I think in, in, in older times, both men's and women's rugby was the downtime. It was the social thing. But when yeah. when you're when you're full time now, I mean, I'm sure it's very frustrating when she's getting off Zoom calls and, and spreadsheets and she comes down and you're just feet up on the couch saying, babe, I'm resting. I'm in between <laughs> sessions. Like lying there like this. So. Um, Liam, what about you? Um, some good news in 2020, rounded off in some style with uh, an engagement. I understand your partner is into rugby as well um is rugby talked about at the dinner table yeah definitely I watch more rugby now than I ever did he's one of those who watch every single men's premiership game he now pretty much watches every single women's premiership or England game we don't just watch it once we watch it two or three times because is he unemployed (laughs) no he's got a job so how do you find the time if you've got a job to watch all that rugby He's worked from home for over a year. Like I work in rugby. I, I'm supposed to be like some sort of media <laughs> pundit. Comment. I don't know what I am. But I don't even watch that much rugby. Yeah, he like him and his friendship groups are all on the WhatsApps and just chatting about referees' decisions and how certain teams are playing. And you know, he's a Wasps fan, so he when Wasps and Quins are playing, that's an awkward situation. But um, yeah, no, he loves it, and I think. Obviously, that's what we've got in common. You wouldn't get him in a gym. He'll only play rugby himself. He won't do any other physical activity unless it involves a rugby ball. Um, so, yeah, the gym is kind of my space and the rugby is the bit that we've got in common. Have, have you ever had to tell him to simmer down? Has he ever tried saying, babe, can you just, you know, off your left hand, I think your hand, your, your back hand's getting a bit over the top of the ball. You just need to finish the target a bit, you know. Has he ever tried, like, coaching you and you've just said to say, like, had to say, just calm down a second, leave leave it to me. Okay, I'll tell you a story about one of our sessions in COVID lockdown. Uh, we went out and we did a kicking session. He's He plays rugby, he can kick. So I was like, what okay, position? come on then. He's a bit all over the place. Winger, he, more fullback, but he also has played flanker because he just loves the contact. Weird, I know. But yeah, we did a kicking session in lockdown and it ended with us going home, not talking because I could not deal with the criticism and I just didn't take it very well. So we just picked up the balls and I was like, right, we're done. And then we got in the car and went home. But the session's done, yeah? Like, we're not done as in like the relationship wasn't done. <laughs> yeah, we're still together. The session's done. He's probably going to be listening to the podcast as well. So he's going to love the fact that I've just told that story because I had to go groveling afterwards and say, you know, yeah, I shouldn't have reacted that way. Yeah, love you too. Bye. <laughs> And have you ever trained together since? Yeah, we did. We got back on it, but I had to be reminded of how that ended so that I could take a minute, take a breath, go again. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've had to, in retirement, kind of uh, work on how I speak to my my wife. I can't have performance conversations with my wife. That's how I that's <laughs> how I think about it. I can't be as direct and bullish as I would be in a team environment. Um, it gets me in a lot of trouble, I've, I've worked out. So... Different approach and all that. But I can't say she ever caught balls for me. That's a good other half. Right, we're going to move on. I've got a little bit of a quiz for you. This series, I'm on a Red Roses crash course. I'm trying to find out as much as possible uh, about you all. So I've devised the game. I, we, my team have devised the game to help me learn a bit more about your teammates. So I'm going to put a title forward. You have to tell me who best suits it and why, okay? First up, who is the most likely to be late for a team meeting or training? Vicky Cornbra. Yeah. And why? I was going to say Cornbra too. Okay, and why? (laughs) 
pre-COVID, I used to be a roomie and rallying her around. She faffs so much and trying to rally her around to get to team meetings. And she was nearly late to a meeting the other day. I had to text her and be like, you're the last one. Man, why? What's she doing? Uh, who knows? She's repacking her bag for the fifth time or she's just got to go and do this or she's just got to go and do that. She's on her own time scale. The last one, she wasn't even late. She was still five minutes early. But the meeting, was like we'd all been sat there for 10 minutes at that point, like ready to start. Oh, man, you've, you've got to be on Courtney Law's time. Like he'll walk in 10 seconds before like the hour when it starts. And Eddie would have been talking for 10 minutes before that. But he just wouldn't say anything because technically he wasn't late. But it was just like a, a subtle message to say, if you wanted to hear what we've been saying, be here earlier. But then the, I suppose the problem with that is it's like 10 minutes, 15. I was there bloody an hour beforehand sometimes, just not wanting to miss out. <laughs> Who is the enforcer? The enforcer? My mind goes to Abby Ward, but I'm not really sure why. Like, <laughs> I was going to say Abby. <laughs> just kind of like tells you what you're doing. Like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. End of. <laughs> and if you don't do it, you don't hear the end of it either with her. Um, and physically, does she boss it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, who's the worst loser? No Hunt, because we have these compete to win sessions and if her team wasn't winning, oh my gosh, she hated it. I was going to say, let me rephrase that. Who's the most competitive? Any nine. Yeah, I'm going to say what? <laughs> I'll actually say Claudia. Hey, we're both shying away from saying our own names here, I think. <laughs> so you're probably the, the, the worst losers as well, okay? Um, definitely, definitely right up there. Okay, t- tell me who the worst winner is. Oh. Who loves winning? Jess Breach. Yeah? Why, why Jess Breach, the worst winner? She's, she's just a princess. And again, if she's won something that potentially is a bit out of her character, again, you won't hear the end of it. It'll be, oh, do you remember when I won this five years ago? Yeah, okay, Jess, we've got it. Like, you won. Who is the party starter? Oh, I'm going to go McKenna. Mo is resident DJ. And then, yeah, McKenna. McKenna just always come up with the most like random games for everyone just to join in with. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. We had a race night last week um, that McKenna had fixed up for us. And we were all in our team room and on the big screen, I don't know what it was, but we all logged on to something. And then we had to like place our bets. And then the race happened. It was so good. And McKenna left with a bag full of cash. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um, who's the funniest? Like when when I say funniest, the person who's funny without knowing they're funny. I think Abby Dow's really funny. Most of what she says either like doesn't make sense or she pulls out the most like random facts and she's constantly trying to do like puns all the time. So I'm going to go Abby Dow. But <laughs> uh, I said Lydia Thompson purely because she's quite a quieter one of the group. But when she's on form, like if you listen to what she says, she can, whether it's slating someone to the ground, whether it's just genuinely being funny when she's on form, I'm like, did you really just say that? <laughs> She's such a dark horse. She thinks she's really, really lovely because she's so lovely, like 99.9% of the time. And then she comes out with something that absolutely slams it. <laughs> like, oh, God. It's always the quiet ones, right? Yeah. Um, pub quiz, Captain, who would be the best? I'm going to go Harriet Millenbell. She just seems to know a lot about a lot. People that sometimes sound like they know a lot about a lot may not know. It's usually a front. So... <laughs> What, what about Poppy Cleo? She's, I, I, I interviewed her and she's like self-acclaimed um, sports nut. Like her trivia is through the roof. I'd have the sports round. round. Yeah. Okay. Sports round, 100%. Leanne, you're nodding in agreement. Yeah, Harriet's a good one. General knowledge, I reckon she'll be real good for. Okay, okay. Uh, last one. Who is most likely to be the media personality when they retire? Oh... It annoys me to say, but Shauna Brown loves the media. Why Why does it annoy you? Obviously, I'm at Quinn's with her, and I'm pretty sure every week she's doing something. And then uh, we were at training a couple of weeks back before Six Nations, and World Rugby were there, and they were just filming her. Obviously, they were filming other people around her, but she's like, oh, guys, World Rugby coming to film. I'm like, you again? What are you doing now? Non-stop with that girl. I, I think she's made up like this really elaborate backstory of being like a deep-sea engineering diver. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She, she was a You've part-time astronaut. Story. She created penicillin. She did all these things before she played rugby and she's getting all this uh, this media hype. But do you know what? I've actually interviewed her a few times. She's good fun. She's really good. 
to talk to. Yeah, so. she is good. I think she's more comfortable in front of a camera than any other time. She just loves it. Like with it, we had photographers um, at training on Wednesday and she was like, right, Claude, can you kick some up for me? Like kick some up and can you land it right on this five metre on this little cross here, please, right in front and of the, the camera. camera. And, it, uh, and apparently they weren't going to exactly to where she wanted it. So I ended up just throwing it. And then she, there's a picture of her like catching the ball, grinning at the camera. Bearing <laughs> in mind, she's a tight head prop, right? Yeah. Right, I think I think we're about done. Uh, girls, I'm going to let you get on with your evening celebrating your fantastic win today. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, oh, no, you've got to ask me a question. Um, you've had a whole hour and a half to think about this amazing <laughs> question. What you got for me? If you, so you're pulled up in front of the bus, on the front of the bus to sing a song, what song are you singing? Captain Don't Sing. I sung my, I sing. sung my song on my, on my, on my debut. Actually, I didn't. I got too yeah. drunk. I tackled Martin Johnson into the side of the bus passed out of sleep. This is back in the amateur days. And then two weeks later, I had to sing, you've lost that loving feeling. You've lost <laughs> that loving feeling. You know that one? Then everyone gets involved. Whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and do, do you know what? Do you know what? After playing um, a lot of rugby, um, you learn what songs are crowd pleasers pretty quick. And if you, you can, you can stay up there for three minutes and sing a whole song, but if you pick a crowd pleaser, you can sing like the opening verse and be down pretty quickly. Cause I didn't thrive <laughs> in a singing, you know, I didn't want the microphone. So only sung once, got that done. Nice. Thanks. Made me sing. Leanne, Claudia, thank you so much for your insights and your energy. Uh, love to talk to you guys. Congratulations again and good luck for your final in two weeks time. Brilliant. Thanks very much. It's been lots of fun. Woo! I'll be back with the woman next week as they prepare for the big one, the Six Nations final on the 24th of April. Don't forget to show the girls and the podcast some love between now and then by leaving us a rating and a review. And if you haven't heard them already, it's also worth scrolling back through our archive and getting to know some of the other men and women wearing the rose. We've got the likes of George Ford and Johnny May talking about the first time they met, Johnny was naked stretching with the door open and many, many more exclusive revelations like that. 